What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to the Neighborhood Podcast. One of those in a podcast. My name is Kyle Dabra. What's going on, everybody? Kevin Valentin here, other half of the podcast. Dude, we are like three days away from Christmas. How you doing, bro? Chilling, bro. I got a little bit more Christmas shopping to do. I've already got some people squared away with. I got really only my brother and uh, Lucy to take care of left. But outside of that, I'm good to go. So outside of that. I got nothing more to say. I mean, like you said, Christmas is only a couple days away. We got some good football games taking place this weekend. We also got some basketball games to talk about. You ready to dive into these topics? Oh, yeah. All right. So at first, we'll go over the upcoming game slate that will cover this upcoming weekend. Now, some of these games are taking place on Saturday. Some of these games are taking place on Sunday. So this will be very interesting knowing that we have a, uh, a Christmas Day slate and a Christmas Eve slate taking place for football this weekend. So uh, the first game we'll go over will be a pretty solid matchup between the New York Giants and the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, The Giants did have a pretty solid win on the road last week, beating the Washington Commanders in a pivotal NFC East game. And when it comes to the Vikings, the Vikings are still one of the best teams in the NFC. Uh, They're one of the top teams in the NFC North. I believe they've already clinched the NFC North after that miraculous comeback that they had last week against the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, so they'll, they'll look to extend their winning ways as well. After that, we'll kick it over to the Commanders and 49ers game. Uh, this is a must-win game for the Commanders here. Like I just mentioned with the Giants a couple seconds ago, the Commanders coming off of a pretty tough loss to the New York Giants last week, and they'll be looking to bounce back to keep their playoff hopes alive. And when it comes to the 49ers, uh, the 49ers are one of the hottest teams in the NFL right now. Uh, they're currently atop the NFC West, and Honestly, I think they're looking to improve their situation and improve their standing as we get closer to the end of the regular season. After that, we'll kick it over to the Bengals and Patriots game that's taking place this weekend. The Bengals, kind of similar to what I just mentioned with the 49ers. The Bengals are extremely hot right now. I believe they've won six games in a row. Joe Burrow has just been on fire the last couple weeks. He had a four-touchdown performance against the Buccaneers last week in what I would consider a pretty sizable comeback victory for the Bengals. It didn't start out well for them in that game. But nonetheless, they were able to come out of Tampa with that win. When it comes to the Patriots, uh, the Patriots had a brutal away loss to the Raiders last week in probably one of the most most unorthodox ways that you'll see any sort of football team lose. Uh, they lost that game by a score of 30-24. to 24. They were up 24-17 to 17 with three and a half minutes left to go in that game. So gave up a decent amount of points at the end of the stretch there in the fourth quarter. So they'll be looking to bounce back at home against a really surging Bengals team. And then to close out the NFL slate, uh, we'll kick it to the Eagles and Cowboys game. This game probably has a little bit of a damper on it simply just because Jalen Hurts will not be active for this game. He's dealing with a sprained shoulder. And there's actually a decent chance that he actually may miss the rest of the regular season if he's not able to recover from this shoulder injury that he sustained last week. Uh, When it comes to the Cowboys, the Cowboys are looking to bounce back after a pretty tough road loss to the Jacksonville Jaguars last week. Uh, They lost that game in overtime on a pick six, on a pick six, excuse me, by a score of 40 to 34. So that'll round out the NFL slate. And then we'll focus on some Christmas Day games that are going to take place in the NBA. We'll talk about the Lakers and Mavs game. And we'll also talk about the Celtics and Bucks game. There are five games on that slate. I believe the games start at noon and they will pretty much run to about 10 o'clock at night for those NBA Christmas Day games. And Kev, as far as I see it, I don't know if you really kind of see it the same way. 
once these Christmas Day games are started and they come to a finish, I think we'll pretty we'll start focusing our attention more intently on the NBA. Just because you know, once January starts rolling around, that's when things really start ramping up in the NBA. Now we've kind of gotten past that first quarter of the season, and this is where teams really start to make uh, some pretty solid moves to improve their seating before the playoffs start. So that'll round out the agenda for the episode, so let's not waste any more time. Let's dive into the first game that we'll talk about in the NFL, which is going to be the New York Giants going up against the Minnesota Vikings. So to give you guys an update of where the Giants and the Vikings stand ahead of this game, uh, we've got the Giants sitting at an 8-5-1 record. We had the Minnesota Vikings sitting at 11-3 record. When it comes to the Giants, the Giants are coming off of a pretty solid road win against the Washington Commanders last week. And then to kick it over to the Vikings, the Vikings are coming off one of the most improbable comebacks in NFL history. They were down 33 to nothing at halftime against the Indianapolis Colts. They rallied to win that game by the score of 39-36, to winning that game on a game-winning field goal in overtime. So, it's a big game for the Giants because they still have to keep their playoff hopes alive, but that win last week helped them out pretty significantly against the Commanders. But nonetheless, still a big game for the Giants. And at this point, when it comes to the Vikings, the Vikings may potentially smell blood in the water with Jalen Hurts' status being up in the air for the next couple of weeks. So maybe if the Eagles falter for the last couple of weeks, the Vikings may see a pathway forward to get that number one seed. But going to be a tough challenge for them nonetheless. The, the Eagles would really have to falter in that case. So, Kev, to kick this one to you, we've got the New York Giants going up against the Minnesota Vikings in a pretty competitive NFC matchup this weekend. Who do you think is going to come out on top and why? So, I'm only going to go with Minnesota for the sake of, once again, New York's wide receiver core is at a bare minimum. And, obviously, Daniel Jones has not done anything significant at the quarterback position for me to go and select them in this game. I mean, Daniel's good at escaping pressure. He's good at running the ball with his legs. He's also very good at, you know, not turning it over. He hasn't had a lot of turnovers. I mean, he only has four interceptions this year. So again, that is huge. Uh, that is kind of breaking the narrative and the mold that he has had over the course of his career early on. So it's good to see that he's at least protecting the ball, but in terms of airing it out, distributing it to different receivers, throwing touchdowns, it's, it's, it's not looking good from a quarterback standpoint. Now, when you go to Minnesota, my only concern is their offensive line. Last week, the Colts were able to get to Kirk Cousins, I believe, six or seven times. And the Colts do not have a good pass rush. So for that to happen, that is huge. However, the Giants offensive, excuse me, the Giants defensive line has been very, very active as the season has gone on. Thibodeau has shown up their number one pick uh, in this year's past draft. Obviously, you have Leonard Williams and a couple of other pass rushers that have been pivotal to the success of the Giants creating pressure, which is then forcing turnovers for their offense to move down the field. So Minnesota's defense is the biggest question mark for me. Uh, excuse me, Minnesota's offensive line is the biggest question mark for me because I just I don't necessarily know if Kirk Cousins is going to have the time to get the ball to Justin Jefferson, to get the ball to Thielen, to create space for Dalvin Cook. So I think this is going to be a little bit more of a low-scoring game than we originally anticipated just for the sake of is Minnesota's defense going to hold up? Excuse me, I keep saying defense. Is Minnesota's offensive line going to hold up or is the Giants' pass rush going to come through and make Kirk Cousins' life a living hell? Now, the bright side for Minnesota, this is not a primetime game. So once again, Kirk Cousins does not have the light shining on him, especially after a big come-from-behind victory last week. I think that at the end of the day, Minnesota's got a little bit of momentum. I think the Giants still have a couple of pieces to really work with. I just, 
I don't have faith that they're going to be able to do it just putting all the pressure on Saquon Barkley. Now, Minnesota's rush defense isn't exactly something to fear, so I think that they're going to feed Saquon early and on, early and continuously. See, words are just getting more and more difficult the more I speak as today goes on. Sorry, guys. Um, I think that Saquon Barkley, he's got to have at least 125 yards for this to be competitive. they got to create play action. Daniel Jones is going to have to find a way to create some some magic and, uh, you know, really distribute the ball out there to the remaining receivers that he has available on this roster. So I think that this one will be probably for the score of, I don't know, 24-17, maybe even 24-14. to I think that Minnesota holds on just because of the sheer offensive power of that that tandem, not, not even, that three-headed monster between Thielen, Cook, and uh, Jefferson. And then you even throw Hawkinson in there, who has been just an incredible addition since he's been acquired from the Detroit Lions. But I got Minnesota moving on to 12-3, and three, and unfortunately the Giants falter to 8-6-1. and one. Kev, I agree with you. I'm going to go with the Vikings as well in this game. It just comes down to the fact that Kirk Cousins is playing at a 1 o'clock time slot. And when we've seen Kirk Cousins play at a 1 o'clock time slot, he's looked like the GOAT out there. He's looked amazing. When it comes to prime time, that's a different story. But I think in this one, uh, to put the jokes aside here, I just believe that this Vikings offense is just going to be too much for this Giants defense to handle. And it's no slight against what that Giants defense has at their disposal. They did a great job last week containing that commander's offense to 12 points. And that was on the road and a must-win game for the Giants. But going on the, going on the road, going to Minneapolis, that even though that the Vikings are coming off of probably one of the most craziest games that we've ever seen last week, I just think that the Vikings have too much firepower to work with. When it comes to the Vikings, they're in a situation where they could potentially play for the number one seed in the NFC. And it's simply just because of the injury status with Jalen Hurts with his shoulder. He's already scheduled to miss this week's game against the Cowboys. And there's an outside chance that he could miss the rest of the season to rehab that shoulder injury. So if you're the Vikings, the Vikings got to take this game seriously. And they got to play up to snuff against the Giants. Because if they want any chance to get that number one seed, they have to win out and then possibly get some help from the Eagles. And I think in this game, the one thing that they have to look out for is this Giants defense. This Giants defense is no joke. The Giants offense, they're subpar, average, mediocre. You could basically describe it along those three words that I just used. But their defense is not. Their defense has been elite this year. And the reason why they've won most of their games this year has been because the defense has either stopped the opposing offense and they've been able to force some turnovers as well to get it back to that offense. And I think when it comes to the Vikings, the Vikings have to take that into account. I think they have to get off to a very fast start and get that defense on their heels to have success. Now, when it comes to the Giants, the Giants have to win this game, I think, in really only one way. They have to slow the pace of the game down to keep that Vikings offense on the sideline, and they can't turn the ball over. If they're able to do those two things, I think they have a shot to win this game, but I think that's going to be too much of an uphill battle. I just have no faith in Daniel Jones to be able to lead this offense to put up enough points against the Vikings defense. And that's saying that the Vikings defense is, you know, they're not the best defense to work with either. The Vikings have given up points. I mean, they just gave up 36 points to the Colts last week. So there is a chance for the Giants to put up points in this game. It's just I don't believe that their personnel is going to be able to get somewhere around 25 to 30 points in this game. When it comes to the Vikings, I think the Vikings are going to be able to put up around 24, maybe 27 points in this game. And I think as long as Kirk Cousins stays away from turning the ball over and gets it to Justin Jefferson consistently, Adam Thielen here and there, 
feeds Dalvin Cook, whether in the run game or the passing game, I think it's going to work out to their benefit. And I think as long as the Vikings defense can maintain the Giants offense to around 14 to 20 points, I think they'll win this game relatively comfortably. I'm not going to say this is a runaway game. I think the Vikings will win this one by about 7 to 10 points. So there's a chance that this could be a two-possession game when it's all said and done. But if I had to put a score on it, I'm going to say the, the Vikings win this one by the score of, let's say, 24 to 17. I'm going to have this as a one-possession game when it's all said and done. I think the Vikings will be able to get some points on the board early. They're going to force that Giants defense on their heels and also their offense on their heels. And I just don't believe the Giants offense is going to be able to put up the necessary points to win this game. And if they turn the ball over against the Vikings, it'll just compound things. and It'll make things a lot worse for the Giants. So as far as I see it, the Vikings improve going into the last couple of weeks of the season and the Giants, I think falter in this one. That's just how I see it. And when you have the league's best receiver, I mean, your odds are always going to be in your favor. I mean, Justin Jefferson has been a matchup nightmare for opposing corners outside of Darius Slay and Jeff Okuda. I mean, he's on pace to break Megatron's single season uh, receiving yards record. And he is about to be the all time leading Vikings receiver for the most yards in a season as well. I think he's about 90 or 91 yards from passing the legendary Randy Moss. So, I think that that, uh, that gives Minnesota an edge almost every single week. Yeah, and the only caveat is is that they play one more game now compared to when those records were True. set. So, obviously, we kind of take that into account. But nonetheless, though, what Justin Jefferson has done this year has been nothing short of phenomenal. And Kirk Cousins has done, has done a phenomenal job in feeding him the ball, and I think that will continue in this game. But I'm not going to sleep on the Giants' defense. I think if the Giants have a chance to win this game, it's going to be off the backs of their defense. And their defense has shown up time and time again to win them these really close games. And I think if Kirk Cousins turns the ball over, there's a very good chance that the Giants can turn those into points and make this game super competitive. So I know a lot of people may already have the Vikings penned in to win this game, but do not sleep on the Giants. The Giants have a chance to win this game as well. You're up, brother. You know, I'm just, I was looking at something and I thought I had read like a breaking news come through, but it was just a freaking advertisement. I was like, uh, it's one of those slow ads on ESPN. So we have the next game that's coming up right now, and that is going to be the Commanders and the 49ers. The Commanders are 7, 6, and 1. Obviously, at the end of the day, they fell short against the Giants. They have kind of faltered over the course of the last couple of weeks, kind of, I guess, coming back down to earth. However, they do get one of their best players back in Chase Young. He's going to play his first NFL snap this season. So we are looking to see if that is going to spark that already surging defense to see if they can slow down this 49ers team. I mean, at 10-4, and third-string quarterback, injuries galore, they are still finding ways to go about just dominating opposing teams. And with Brock Purdy at the helm, it doesn't look that they've skipped a beat whatsoever. So, Kyle, to kick this one your way, will San Francisco continue to dominate in the NFC or will the commanders find a way to get back on track to compete for the wild card? Kev, I got the 49ers in this one. And to be quite honest with you, I think it's going to be a route. I think there's a very good chance that the 49ers defense could potentially hold this commander's offense to 10 or 15 points. I'm not talking about holding them to the low 20s. I'm talking about low to mid-teens just because of how fierce and dangerous this 49ers defense is. When it comes to the last couple games that Brock Purdy has started in, this 49ers defense is basically holding opposing teams to essentially teen-digit performances offensively. And look, when it comes to the 49ers, they've gone through a lot this year. The injury bug has not been kind to them. Um, 
Debo Samuel is still out a couple weeks. They've lost both of their starting quarterbacks in Trey Lance and Jimmy G. And yet, despite that, they just continue to hum right along. And since Brock Purdy has gotten the start, and even when he filled in for a lead for Jimmy G a couple weeks back, the 49ers offense hasn't really missed a beat. And I will look back to last week against Seattle. They were a little bit more methodical. Uh, they weren't putting up as much points compared to the first couple weeks that Brock was getting the start. But nonetheless, Brock didn't turn the ball over. And he featured George Kittle extremely heavily in the offense last week. He had two touchdowns in that game. And I think if the commanders aren't careful, there's a very good chance that Kittle could have a very similar type of performance in this game. And I wouldn't be surprised if Christian McCaffrey gets a little bit more involved. Uh, Brandon Ayuk gets involved. Like this 49ers offense, I understand that they're still missing pieces. But yet for some odd reason, they're just still able to execute at a high level. And I think it's just simply because they win the battle at the line of scrimmage week in and week out. And if they're able to do that and give Brock Purdy time to be able to make decisions, look at his reads available to him. I mean, that's putting your quarterback in a situation to win. And by and large, they've been able to do that for the first couple of weeks since Brock Purdy's gotten the start. And when it comes to the 49ers, they've been one of the hottest teams in the league right now. I think they're a real dark horse contender to be in the Super Bowl this year to represent the NFC. And that's despite the fact that they have a third string quarterback in at the helm right now. And when it comes to the commanders, the commanders, I just don't have a lot of faith in them right now offensively. They went up against a really tough defense against the Giants last week and only scored 12 points, and they were playing at home. Now they're in a situation where they have to go up against a 49ers defense that is probably the best defense in the league. And Taylor Heineke, is he going to be the guy that's going to lead this offense to the promised land to get 25, 30 points against this 49ers defense? I don't believe that to be the case. And I don't think the commander's defense is going to be able to hold up against that 49ers offense, despite Brock Purdy being there. So you tie all those factors together. I think there's a very good chance that the 49ers just absolutely run away with this game. I think this game could be over potentially by the third quarter where, you know, the 49ers are up two or three possessions. And that's despite the fact that Chase Young is coming back this week for the commanders. I just don't have faith that the commanders have the requisite pieces to slow down the 49ers in any way, shape, or form. And I think when it's all said and done, I think the 49ers win this one by the score of, I'm going to say 31 to 14. I think this has the potential to be a three possession game. The 49ers continued their winning ways. And when it comes to commanders, I think this, this takes a pretty significant hit in their playoff chances. I'm not saying they're dead in the water, but they got to play up to snuff to be competitive in this game. I just don't see that happening. I think the 49ers continue their winning ways and really improve their standing in the NFC as far as I see it. There's really not much I can add, uh, realistically. I mean, when you talk about the ineptitude of the Washington offense outside of Terry McLaurin then the occasional big run from Brian Robinson, I don't necessarily have a lot of faith in them to go out there and try to compete against the league's best defense. I mean, we're talking about Fred Warner, we're talking about Nick Bosa, and countless others that have just made play after play after play all season long. And despite losing two quarterbacks this season— this defense has carried the load for the majority of the second half of the season. You don't have to go out there and score 40 points on offense. You don't have to go out there and rush for 200 yards. But with the late midseason acquisition of Christian McCaffrey, we know that there is going to be a consistency at running back, and he is going to be able to shoulder the load for the majority of the game as long as he remains healthy. That's the pivotal part. With them being riddled with injuries on the defensive side, and now if you were to kind of like take a step back and say, well, you know, Debo's hurt. Kittle was hurt. Trent Williams was hurt. Christian's been dealing with a couple of different minor injuries here and again. It's just like, 
for them to continue to dominate the way that they have been, despite having all of this, just speaks volumes of a, of the depth that this team has. Kyle Shanahan is tired of, of having the narrative of not being able to finish off the season, not being able to to handle anything in terms of adversity. I mean, they had the whole Trey Lance situation, the whole argument with Jimmy Garoppolo maybe not coming back in this offseason, and now you're talking about your third string, Mr. Irrelevant draft pick, being the quarterback that leads you to a postseason berth. They won the division already, and it's just a matter of what seed they're going to get. Now, I don't think that they are going to be able to capitalize and go get the number one seed. That would have to mean that Minnesota and Philadelphia lose lose out the rest of the year and probably Dallas as well since Dallas is just a few games behind Philly but to kind of wrap up my point here I don't think that Washington has anything to bring to the table when in comparison to the 49ers I think that this is 100% going to be a route I think Taylor Heineke may even get benched if the 49ers continue to bring pressure like they have been all season and if that's the case Carson Wentz has been known to give up a lot of passes as well, a lot of turnovers, whether that be a fumble or interception. So the 49ers could walk away from this game with three or four turnovers between two quarterbacks or even just one. So again, I got, I'm got i right alongside my partner. I got the 49ers moving up to 11-4 and four and just completely running through the rest of the conference by the end of the year. Yeah, I mean, the 49ers are no joke. They've played up the snuff since Brock has gotten the start. I mean, you would think, you know, when it comes to a third-string quarterback, you know, you're kind of at your wit's end when it comes to most teams, but just the 49ers from top to bottom, they're just so solid. And the coaching staff has, I think, really flourished. They've really kind of shown uh, their stripes here. And as far as I see it, they put Brock in a position to be able to win games. The offensive line is winning those line of scrimmage battles, honestly, play by play. And as far as I see it, you know, the 49ers are no joke. You know, and honestly, when it comes to the 49ers, they would have been fine with either Jimmy or Brock at this point. I don't know what happened. I don't know what would have happened if Trey were still here um, just because he went down so early, but nonetheless, I just don't think the commanders have it. Not in this game. If they couldn't beat the giants at home last week, I believe there's no shot. Game, they're coming. No, they, I believe this game is in San Francisco. Yep. So I don't believe that they're going to be able to fly out to the West coast and, and win this game. If they were, I, I think it'd be low key a miracle. Just because I mean, we've seen some miracles last week alone, so we can't really rule it out. It, but I don't know. Taylor Heineke would have to really pull off something special. I mean, he'd, he'd have to have one of those games of his life to be able to to go on the road and be a juggernaut like the 49ers. I, I, I just that. don't think it's I don't think it's going to happen. But right. Speaking of uh, miracles, there was a miracle that took place right. against one of these teams last week. Yeah. So uh, I'll kind of just, I'll hand this one off to you. Be a little bit delicate. Just, you know, we were both sensitive to last week. So obviously the next game on the slate is going to be my dog, my boy, Joseph Burrow, going into Foxborough in December against Bill Belichick and that defense that has been swarming, although their record doesn't reflect it. They have been consistent, at least on one end. So we got Mac Jones, Joe Burrow. The Bengals are the hottest team in football right alongside the 49ers. Who do you have coming out of this game? And why? Okay, we're going to go with the Bengals in this one. I know they had a pretty shaky start last week to the Buccaneers last week, but they were able to bounce back pretty significantly in that second half and just make it an absolute runaway of a game at the end of the day. And then you juxtapose it with what the Patriots did last week. The Patriots choked it last week. There's no other way to say it. You're up 24-17 to 17 with about three and a half minutes left to go in the fourth quarter, and the team gives up 13 unanswered points in that time frame. You just can't have that. And granted, that was a game that I thought the Patriots had a very good chance of winning. And yet they found themselves short. And the way that they did it is 
unbelievable as far as I'm concerned. I'm still a little bit sensitive to how that game ended with Jacoby Myers making one of the dumbest decisions I've ever seen in NFL history. But nonetheless, they had to move on. They had to focus against a really tough team and the Bengals. And when it comes to the Patriots defense, like you said, Kev, I think that they have a pretty solid defense uh, to go up against Joe Burrow here. But whenever the Patriots have gone up against top-tier talent this year, they have relatively struggled. Uh, when it comes to Lamar Jackson and the Ravens, they gave up over 30 points. There have been times in and out of the season where the Patriots, when going up against a really good team, they've given up 25, 30, 35 points. You can even look back to the Kirk Cousins performance that he had on Thanksgiving. That was a really good offense that the Patriots went up against with the Minnesota Vikings. And frankly, they got torched. And when it comes to Joe Burrow coming into town, I don't really see anything changing. When it comes to the requisite pieces that Joe Burrow has at his disposal, you got Jamar Chase, you got Joe Mixon out of the backfield, you got T. Higgins, you got Tyler Boyd. I mean, that's a juggernaut you're going up against. And look at what the look at what the Bengals were able to do effectively last week. Despite being down 17 to 3 at halftime, Joe Burrow was able to just light up that Bucks defense in the second half albeit you know the Bucks had some turnovers in that game that really I think swung the momentum in favor of the Bengals in that game but Joe Burrow took advantage of it he had four touchdowns in that game I also appreciate Joe Burrow getting me uh, 28 fantasy points last week so I appreciate you Joe in that regard but going into this game I think that Joe Burrow is going to have similar success I think the only way that the Patriots make this a game is if that pass rush can get home against Joe Burrow and get some sacks and I will say that the Bengals' offensive line, they have been shaky at times this year. Uh, they've been better than what they were at the beginning of the year. But if Matt Judon, Dietrich Wise, and Josh Uche, if they make it a point of emphasis to get to Joe and force some passes, and not only that, force some errant passes, force a turnover or two, and even just get to the point where they can pressure him, hurry him, or even get a sack, I think that that could really, that could really kind of sway in the Patriots' favor here. But I don't think it's going to be consistent enough to slow down this Bengals offense. I think the Bengals are just too hot to deal with right now. They're, like you said, Kev, they're one of the hottest teams in the NFL right now. They're improving their standing in the AFC as far as I see it. And despite the fact that I think the Patriots, they have a defense to contend with it, I don't think it's going to be enough. And I don't have any faith in this Patriot offense right now. Mac Jones looks like he's, he, it looks like he's completely done with Matt Patricia as far as I'm concerned. The struggles have just been, too big for me to ignore. He's coming off of one of his, what I would consider one of his weakest statistical performances last week. He only completed around 11 to 15 completions last week. So, and that was out of 30 attempts. So he's got to step up. But with Matt Patricia being the play caller for the Patriots right now, I don't really see that happening. I think when it comes down to this game, how it's going to play out, I think the Bengals win this one relatively comfortably. I'm going to say they win this one by the score of let's say 27 to 17. I think the Bengals will put up somewhere around those mid twenties, maybe the high twenties when it comes to their point total. And I just don't think the Patriots are going to make the plays that need to be made on the offensive side of the ball. And a lot of that has to do with Matt Patricia playing the call, uh, calling the plays on offense. So you factor all that together, the Bengals keep their winning ways alive. And I think the Patriots playoff chances are pretty much dead in the water. If they lose this game and the Patriots schedule does not get easier from here uh, to close out the year. So Kev, floor is yours on this one, bro. Uh, the biggest focus for me within the Patriots potentially coming up with an upset. Yes, I have the Bengals winning as well. I mean, 
my dog is leading the way, so you know I got I got a favorite with with Joe. I really do think Kyle. All jokes aside, I think Joe's like kind of becoming one of my favorite players, if not my favorite player in the league right now. I don't know why, but just thought I'd kind of share that with the audience here. Um, my focal point, which I was getting to, is Ramondre Stevenson is probably the best back on this roster, and we know that when Damian Harris is healthy, that they are a great one-two punch. But for the two of them to be successful. They are going to have to win. The, the, the Patriots are going to have to win at the line of scrimmage. Now, I know that the Cincinnati Bengals don't have the greatest pass rusher in the world, especially with Sam Hubbard injured. Um, that is probably one of their better pass rushers. I think that the Patriots are going to have to take advantage and run the football, keep the ball away from Joe Burrow, find a way to create play action for Mac Jones and those receivers and those tight ends. I know that Mac has had probably one of the worst seasons in the league in terms of starting quarterbacks between the injury. Uh, the change at offensive coordinator, the pressure that he's received, the turnovers that he's created. I mean, it, it has not been good in terms of the Patriots offense. Like I said, the only saving grace has been their running attack. When both running backs are healthy, they're probably one of the better tandems in the league. So I will give them credit there. And again, their defense, as always, finds ways to not only create turnovers, but they also score on that side. Their special teams has been efficient. So the Patriots aren't 100% a bad football team. It's just that when your offense is on the field and you are incapable of moving the ball consistently and scoring in the red zone, that is going to leave your defense frustrated. That is going to make your defense tired because they're consistently getting on the field with little to no points on the board to show for it. Now, the Bengals have one of the most high-powered offenses with the receiving tandem of Higgins and Boyd and, of course, uh, Jamar Chase. Uh, you know, Joe Mixon is healthy. Joe Burrow's having an incredible year, and that offensive line seems to be turning it around at the right time. I agree that the Bengals have every opportunity to capitalize, but on the off chance that that defense decides to take a week off, not to say that they will, but if Stevenson and Harris combined for over 175 yards in the ground. Time of possession is going to go to the Patriots. That means that Joe Burrow is going to have to force the ball down the field. Maybe even a couple errant passes fit into tight windows. I think the Patriots could potentially make this competitive. But again, in my personal and professional opinion, I don't think that that happens. I think that Zach Taylor and this offense scheme accordingly find ways to keep the ball away from, uh, I was about to say Minnesota, from New England as well. And I think that Joe Burrow has one of the, well, probably not one of the biggest games, but I say that he has a very, very good game in New England. I think that he has anywhere from three to four touchdowns, maybe even one on the ground. And I think Joe Mixon is going to have to be a pivotal piece here because of his dual threat capabilities of being able to catch out of the backfield and also make people miss behind the line of scrimmage. I think that he has got to have damn near 100 yards on the ground as well, if not 150 all-purpose yards to make this a runaway game for the Bengals. For the sake and respect that this is in Foxborough, for the sake and respect that New England is always going to have a stout defense, I say that this is going to be a 7-10 to 10 point game. I think that the, the Bengals do not score 30. I think this is going to be maybe anywhere from 24 to 28 points on the Bengals side. But again, let's just be respectful here. I'm going to go with 28-17, to 17, maybe even 28 to uh, 28-24, something along those natures. I just, I don't know why. I think the Patriots show that they can compete they just end up faltering at the worst times of the game. But I think that Bill probably made everybody on that special teams play, or excuse me, on that offensive play last week to the to the Raiders. I think he probably made them all run and just drown them in film. I don't see them making pivotal mistakes like that again. And if they do, Matt Patricia may be looking for a new job, man, because he, he he definitely cannot be no offensive coordinator anymore. So Kyle, I I, I try to I try to understand where you're coming from, but man, he is a whole different level of ineptitude as a, as an offensive mind. Yeah, I mean, Kev, I mean, to be quite honest with you, he might be the worst offensive play caller in the entire league right now. And I That's know, tr I, trust me, Kev. I mean, I know you had your gripes with uh, with Frank Reich playing, uh, calling the plays uh, when he was with Indy, but 
it just looks like he looks like he's in over his head. Yeah. And just the reactions that you've seen from Mac Jones this year. I mean, they've been pretty verbal and they've been pretty, I'm not going to say physical. They've been apparent. Yeah. Um, it's, it's just, you know, when it comes to Matt Patricia, like for me personally, I still see utility with him as a coach, just not an offensive play caller. Right. I think his bread and butter is on the defensive side of the ball. And I think he actually shows his really his true colors there. I think that's where I think he thrives um, as an overall NFL coach. It just offensive play caller. I just don't think that's his. I don't think that's his style. But it doesn't mean that I think that Matt Patricia as a coach is just god awful and that he should be off the team. I don't really see that that way. I see it as more of okay, we'll reassign him back to the defense where I think he's more valuable, and I think that might be something that the Patriots consider this off season. But no, it's just I mean it's pretty simple. The, the Patriots offense has taken a major hit because Josh McDaniels is no longer there. It's honestly that simple. The play calling has taken such a precipitous drop-off. I mean, it's led to the result that we've seen with the Patriots this year. They're basically a 500 team. I mean, last year they were a playoff team. They were 11-5 and last year. So, what happened? It was simple. Josh McDaniels is no longer the play caller. And when you have Matt Patricia in there, who's just not as experienced, and, you know, you're dealing with a, a, a not a rookie quarterback, but you're dealing with a quarterback in his second year, and you could tell the frustration has boiled to a point where there's not a lot of trust. And if there is, it, it's very shaky. So this is more of just a circumstantial issue with the Patriots and with their coaching staff. I don't think that Mac's a bad player. I think Max is being put in a position where he can't win because the coaching staff is just, they butchered it. And a lot of that is on Bill. Bill's going to take some heat on this one when it comes to how he assembled this coaching staff uh, coming into this year. It, it has failed as far as I've seen it on the offensive side of the ball. Not defensively. I think defensively they've been fine. But the biggest issue has been the offense. And Kev, I mean, at times it looked like one of the worst NFL offenses. And I think a lot of that just has to do with, with play calling and preparation. It just doesn't look like the team's ready to compete, especially on the offense. So I think the Bengals have a very good chance to win this one in a runaway. Well, runaway is a stretch. Runaway, runaway could happen if the Patriots turn the ball over, but I think if the Patriots are smart, they have to be smarter than they were last week. Damn right. You know, maybe this is a one-position game, but I still believe the Bengals are the better team. And they've been on an absolute hot streak the last couple weeks, so I don't really see that changing uh, in the foreseeable future. I think they could win this game in New England fairly easily. So that's just kind of how I see it. Uh, But with that said, we are going to transition to the last game on the slate here, and that is going to be a pretty competitive NFC East battle that's going to feature the Philadelphia Eagles and the Dallas Cowboys. Now, the Eagles... Look, they're the best team in the NFC. They have the best record. But unfortunately for them, they are not going to have Jalen Hurts in the starting quarterback position for them this weekend. He's dealing with a shoulder injury that may not only sideline him for this game, but potentially could sideline him for the rest of the regular season until the playoffs start. And when you look at the quarterback situation with the Eagles, I believe they're going to start Gardner Minshew this week. So it'll be very interesting to see how the Eagles are going to adjust now that Gardner is going to be the starting quarterback for the Eagles. And when it comes to the Cowboys, the Cowboys are still one of the better teams in the NFC, but they had a slip-up game against the Jaguars last week. They suffered a pretty devastating loss on the road to the Jags last week. Lost the game on a game-losing pick six from Dak Prescott. CeeDee Lamb also dropped it, and the ball just fell right into one of the corners for the Jaguars. And 
ran it back for the game-winning pick six for the Jags. So the Cowboys are looking to bounce back in this game. Uh, when it comes down to the Eagles and Cowboys, this is always a big NFC matchup. This is always a rivalry game between these two teams. And even though that we don't have Jalen Hurts in the fold for this game, I still expect this one to be a pretty competitive game when this game does go final. So, Kev, to kick this one to you, we've got the Eagles and the Cowboys going at it this weekend in a pretty pivotal NFC East matchup. Who do you think is going to come out on top and why? This is a tough one for me. I know that I am a big advocate for the Eagles. I'm a big supporter. You know, I want to see them win. It's my girls' team. It's, like, basically my second team. But without Jalen Hurts and his dual capability within the RPO, how he leads this team, his composure, and how he handles the adversity, whether he has interceptions, bad games. Like last week, he was able to turn around from a rough first half and just lead this team back to victory in Chicago. And I think that during that game is when he injured his shoulder, and yet he was still playing through a bad throwing shoulder. Now, the Eagles are being precautious. It has him listed officially as doubtful as of today, but... With all that being said, it also says that Gardner Minshew's been taking first-team reps. So as Kyle had said earlier, it really looks like they're going with Minshew, which who has been proven time and time again is not a bad starting quarterback in this league. In some instances, people can make the argument that he would start on multiple NFL teams right this moment because he has the capability to throw the ball. He is accurate. He's got great leadership skills. He's vocal. And, uh, you know, Quite frankly, when he was in Jacksonville, I thought that he played exceptionally well. And the only reason that he got benched was because they owed Nick Foles money. And then you go and you draft Trevor Lawrence and you were kind of stuck there. So with all of that going into my prediction, unfortunately, I think that with Dallas losing the way that they lost that last week, with Dak Prescott being careless with the ball, Tony Pollard running the ball as efficiently as he has been, I think Dallas gets a victory at home to bounce back. I think that the... Dallas Cowboys are going to find a way to really pressure and get to Gardner Minshew to make sure that he is going to make those rush decisions. Again, not to say that he is a bad quarterback, but he is not Jalen Hurts. He does not have the movement and the, the mobility on his legs to go and make plays like Jalen does. I think it limits the playbook. You're going to have to open it up more to handing it off to Miles Sanders. You're going to have to open it up to throwing it more times than not. I don't know if you're going to still have the capability of running it on third and short with that RPO. I know maybe on fourth and one, third and one, you still have the best offensive line in football, but you do not have the strength and the uh, the physical prowess that Jalen Hurts brings to the table. Now, the relationship with Jalen Hurts and A.J. Brown, it's clear, it's concise, it's obvious. It is probably one of the best tandems in the league. I don't think that Minshew and A.J. are going to be able to get that in a week's worth of practice. Not even a week, because obviously this game is going to be on Saturday, as opposed to the... Uh, the game that was just played on Sunday. So they've only had a few days to really get together and really find chemistry to really kind of get in a groove. But I will again say that I think that, you know, CeeDee Lamb is going to be not locked up, but he's going to be contained between the combination of Bradbury and, of course, uh, Darius Slay. For Dallas to win, they are going to need to run the football. They are going to need to keep the ball away from the offense of the Philadelphia Eagles. They are going to need to capitalize and score in the red zone so that they are not playing field goal and not playing catch-up. I think this is going to be a close game. I think this is going to go down to the fourth quarter. I think Dallas wins in a nail-biter, probably by the score of, I want to say, again, just respect both defenses because Dallas is one of the better pass-rushing teams as well as the Eagles. I think this could easily go into the the, the mid-20s. I want to say 24-21 Dallas. I think that the uh, Maurer hits a game-winning field goal to kind of put them up. But, you know, again, 
Philly is still going to be one of the best teams in the league. Obviously, with two games to go after the season, they're really going to have to just win one to clinch the division. But uh, I think they split the season series. Dallas will move on to 11-4, and four, and Philly will fall to 13-2. and two. And hopefully, it doesn't become a trend with Gardner Minshew and not Jalen Hurts. We'll see what happens as the injury gets further developed and uh, what rehab ends up doing for him. Did you say Maurer? Yeah, Brett Maurer. Uh, no, it's, it's Maher. Maher. Uh, I was close. Yeah, I, I was thinking Maurer. I'm like, you talking about Joe Maurer from, from Joe Maurer, the catcher? Yeah, 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 yeah. I was thinking, I was like, oh, like th- that's a flashback there. I mean, Joe Maurer was beast back in the day. No, I, 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 I kind of had to catch myself for a second. I was like, oh, it was Maher. I, I didn't know who you were talking about at first. Close. Now I, now I got it. Um, No, but Kev, I'm in agreement with you on this one. I do believe the Cowboys will win this one. Um, I have to ask you, though. Do you see this game being a lot closer? Is it just because of what the Eagles defense is going to present against Dallas? Yeah, and I think just truthfully, like with Dak having 11 interceptions this year, the offensive line has been up and down at times with the injuries and with the Eagles having probably the first, if not second best pass rush alongside Dallas, there's going to be a lot of pressures. There's going to be a lot of moments where passes are going to be forced. And it may be a sloppy game. Dak has been known to turn it over this season. We don't know if Gardner's going to be able to force the ball down the field with his lack of mobility when compared to Jalen, I don't necessarily know if he's going to be able to keep up with Micah Parsons and Demarcus Lawrence in that backfield consistently if the Eagles offensive line is unable to hold. I think the way that I see this game playing out is one of two ways. I think I think the Cowboys are going to win both ways. It's just the margin of victory. Because the way that I see it is, if that Cowboys defense can step up, and I mean play hellacious defense, I mean, there's a very good chance that the Eagles may only score 14 to 17 points. Now, I understand the Eagles have the best record in football. But with Jalen not being in the starting lineup this coming weekend, you got Gardner in there. I'm telling you, I, I think Dallas may potentially smell blood in the water here, and they may take advantage of, we're going to force Gardner into some situations where he's going to force the ball out early, and maybe that Dallas defense can take advantage of it. The other way I have this playing out is, like you said, a very close matchup where it kind of comes down to the wire. But I don't think it's going to really come off the backs of Gardner and the typical offensive weapons that we see with the Eagles. I actually think it would be more of a focus on running the football against Dallas, kind of making it more of kind of a grind type of game where they own the the time of possession a little bit more. But I just believe there's too many variables working against the Eagles here. And I think it just simply goes to not having Jalen in the fold. If Jalen was playing this game, I think the Eagles win this one by about seven points, even though it's a road game, I, I think they would potentially win. But with him not being there, I think that's the pivotal reason why that the Cowboys are going to win this game. I mean, Kev, you outlined it pretty well. I I think the Cowboys, there have been times the last couple of weeks that they faltered. They damn near lost to the Texans a couple of weeks ago. And I think they had a wake up call against the Jags last week. I mean, they got absolutely blown out in the second half of that game and they could not stop Trevor Lawrence. And I think had they gone up against Jalen Hurts this week, I think it would have been kind of a similar type of issue that the Cowboys would have to deal with. But I think going up against Gardner, I think it's going to be a little bit of an easier challenge. They shouldn't look at it that way. They probably need to play up to the standard of we want to play what we're going up against in Jalen. But since Jalen's not there, we're still going to bring that same type of intensity, that same type of ferocity against Gardner. And I think this is going to be a situation where I think the Cowboys defense, they lock it down, that they potentially hold this Eagles offense to 14 to 17 points. And I think it comes with slowing down the run game that the Eagles have. The Eagles have a very good run game, but with them 
kind of being out of their comfort zone, not being able to run this RPO that they really live by with Gardner now being the quarterback. I think that's really going to put them in a tailspin. I just don't think that the offensive rhythm is going to be the same for the Eagles this week with Gardner in there compared to Jalen. And I think that the Cowboys, I think this is going to just be an easier defensive challenge knowing that Gardner is not really as mobile as Jalen. And I think when it comes to the Cowboys offense, as long as they're able to not turn the ball over, which has been an issue because Dak Prescott has been one of the more turnover prone quarterbacks, I'd say for the last month or two. So, you know, he's definitely got to clean that up as far as I see it. But if they're able to run the ball effectively with Ezekiel Elliott, Tony Pollard, use those guys out of the backfield. And as long as Dak is able to complete his passes effectively to CD Lamb, Noah Brown, and also Dalton Schultz, I think there's a very good chance that these guys could be able to play relatively well against the Eagles defense. But like I said earlier, I think this game is going to go one of two ways. I think it's either going to be a close game or I think it's going to be more of a comfortable win for Dallas here. I'm actually going to go with the more comfortable route. I think they're going to win um, pretty comfortably in this game. I think Dallas, based on what they're going to do defensively, I think they're really just going to lock down the run game for the Eagles, force Gardner to win that game against Dallas's defense. I don't think that's going to work out for the Eagles in that case, just because I don't think Gardner is going to be the guy. And I think as long as Dak is just careful with the ball and they rely on the run game that they have with Tony Pollard and Ezekiel Elliott, I think that's going to work wonders for them. If I had to put a score on it, I'm not going to say that Dallas is going to put up like 40 points in this game. Um, I don't see that happening. This is a rivalry game, and typically these games aren't really high scoring to begin with. So if I had to put a score on it, I'm going to say Dallas wins this one by the score of, let's say, 24 to 17. I think this is one of those games where I think Dallas is going to win relatively comfortably. Um, I don't think this is going to come down to like a last second field goal, but I think as long as Dallas is just able to not turn the ball over, make good half time adjustments, and just honestly own time of possession, I think they'll be fine. And this will improve their record, not only in the NFC East, but the NFC as well, if they're able to win this game against the Eagles, because there's only a couple weeks left in the season and they got to get all the wins that they can to improve their standing when it comes to their wild card spot. Because I think at this point, they're not going to be able to get the top of the NFC. I think the Eagles have that well in hand at this point, unless the Eagles absolutely falter. So to round this out, I got the Cowboys winning this one. Uh, what, what was it? 24 to 17. I'm going to go with that. I just, I, I want to preview. I, there is no lack of respect for Gardner Minshew on my side. There is no, you know, no lack of confidence that he could move an offense down the field. It's just when you take out an MVP candidate and replace it with a, career backup for the most part outside of his two years in Jacksonville, it's hard to have the same amount of confidence in an offense to move as fluid as it has been all season. And then you go and you combine that with the tandem of Zeke being the downhill runner and Tony Pollard out here averaging five and a half yards a carry this season. I think that Dallas is going to lean on keeping the ball away from Philadelphia for the sake of the potential of that offense waking up or, or acting like they have been all season. I mean, let's be honest, the Eagles' weakest attribute has always been their rush defense as of this season. And if you have a one-two back that can split carries evenly and go for 80 to 100 yards apiece, that is going to be a tall task for the Eagles' defense to go out there and make stops, especially with injuries to the linebacking core, some to the secondary. Garner Johnson is hurt. Blankenship is hurt at the safety position. So they are going to be taking advantage, and they are going to be trying to keep that ball away from that offense as much as they can. So again... This is no slight to Gardner. I want to make that very abundantly clear. 
No, and I don't see it as that. I just think that, you know, like you said, when you lose somebody like Jalen due to injury and you have Gardner replace him, well, let's face it. They're not going to run the same offensive system that they've been Correct. running the entire year just because Gardner is not as mobile as Jalen. That's not to say that Gardner is just like Tom Brady. He's not out Tom there. Brady. <laughs> yeah, like he's not slow. That's crazy that we were able to come up with that same answer at the same time. I thought that was nuts. But nonetheless, I, I think the Eagles are going to be competitive. I just don't see it as competitive to the point where they're going to win the game. I think Dallas is too good. I think Dallas is going to learn from their mistakes last week with all the turnovers that they had. I just don't see the Eagles losing Jalen and yet still going on the road to win this game. I I just don't see it. But that's neither here nor nor there. I think it's still going to be a fun game nonetheless. Game of the week in my opinion. Yeah, it, I mean, honestly, it would have been definitely the game of the week had Jalen been there. But, Sheesh. you know, it is what it is, and we'll just have to uh, work with it as is right now. Uh, but with that said, we're going to kick it over to some of the Christmas Day games uh, that are going to take place on Sunday, because Saturday is Christmas Eve, and uh, Christmas is going to take place on Sunday. So one of the games that we're going to go over first is going to be obviously one of those five matchups that's going to take place on Christmas, and that is going to be the Lakers going up against the Mavs. Um, Kev, I'm going to kick this one to you. Now, when it comes to the Lakers and the Mavs, uh, both teams have been relatively up and down this year. The Mavs are having a little bit more of a better season than the Lakers. Uh, when it comes to the Lakers, injuries have been kind of a consistent theme with them. Anthony Davis will not be playing in this game. Suffered a foot injury a couple of games back, and he's going to be out for the next couple of weeks or so. Uh, but when you look at what LeBron James has done, LeBron has been playing up to snuff. The last couple games, granted, they have been in losing efforts, but he's been putting up consistently around 30 to 35 points. And then when you kick it over to Dallas, Dallas has been really just based on Luka. Luka has really been the sole factor of this team. There have been guys that have stepped up and chipped in uh, here and there, but it's really been led by Luka. I know that probably comes to the dismay of Kevin, uh, just because there are some really good pieces that the the Mavs have, like uh, Christian Wood, you got Tim Hardaway Jr., You've got really a decent cast of players that the Mavs had at their disposal, but nonetheless, I think I think Kev has probably expected more of the Mavs from them this season so far. But there's still a lot of time left to go in the season, so you know who's to say that this is what the Mavs are going to be the entire year? Maybe they make some adjustments in the second half of the year and really go on a run here. So, Kev, to kick, kick, excuse me, to kick this one to you. We've got the Mavs and the Lakers going at it on Christmas Day. This could be a fun Western Conference matchup as far as I see it. Who do you think is going to come out on top and why? So normally I would go against my team, but without AD, I'm going to have to side with the Dallas Mavericks in this instance. I think that the Dallas Mavericks have found ways to be competitive in a lot of their games. Um, Christian Wood has emerged as finally the second scorer, the second best player on this team. I mean, Jason Kidd started him despite Luka being out in one game, and he realized that that was going to be probably one of the uh, the bigger games of the year for them. And then there was a game where they ended up dropping, I think, like 50 or 60 points between the two of them, which was, again, well overdue. There's no reason why Christian, Christian, what's wrong with me? Christian Wood should not be starting. Tim Hardaway Jr. has found his stride. I mean, he scored 20 points in the fourth quarter last night to lead us to the victory against the Timberwolves. And then Spencer Dinwiddie has been just a great asset off the bench. And Kemba Walker has actually played exponential uh, 
exceeding my expectation to what I thought he was going to be playing. I'm still going to sign with playing Jaden Hardy well over Kemba Walker. I think the kid has a lot more promise than an older veteran, but I mean, Kemba dropped, I think, 32, five and eight against the Cavs the other night without kept without uh, Luca. So, I mean, he still has some left in the tank and he's been playing solid. So I'm very happy with his contributions. And then, of course, LeBron James is on a five or six game stretch of scoring 30 or more points. And of course, the Lakers are going to have to just lean on him and Russell Westbrook and the rest of that bench. I think Kendrick Nunn the other night, if not yesterday, he had a whole stat line of zeros and was 0 for 6 and played like a good like 15, 20 minutes. And, that you know, Twitter's forever trolling. I just found that to be comical that the caption was like, man, Kendrick Nunn balled out last night. And it was just zeros after zero after zero. It was hysterical. But... Luca obviously is going to have to be the focal point despite my recommendations to both leadership management ownership I have made plenty of complaints on this podcast and everywhere else to all my friends and family um they live and die with Luca I mean it's 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 kind of frustrating but I think that Luca has a pretty big game he always steps up when playing against his idol and favorite player in LeBron James and I think that with the lack of an interior presence that the the Lakers do not have I think that Christian Wood has himself a big game as well. So I'm looking for Christian to have anywhere from 25 to 30. And Luca's, of course, going to go for his own 30 burger, uh, 30 bomb uh, himself. So we'll see what happens. But I got Dallas winning a, a pretty decent one, I want to say, by uh, maybe 10, 15 points. I just think that the Lakers are kind of just lost without AD. He was really their focal point on their offensive side. I mean, the last two games, the Lakers have lost 130 to 104 and then 134 to 120. So, I mean, defense has never really been a, a focal point for the Lakers at any point this year, but without their big rim protector and also their second best score, uh, I think that this is going to be a struggle game for the Lakers. Kev, I'm with, I'm basically in full agreement with you on this one. I, I got the Mavs winning this one uh, pretty easily. And I think this really just kind of goes to the fact that the Lakers don't have Anthony Davis. And I think when you lose somebody like that, you just lose an interior presence that is just too significant to bear as far as I see it. Now, when it comes to the Mavericks, I wouldn't say that like their focal piece is their interior. Like when it comes to their four and five spots, it's mostly based around Luca and what he's able to do with a collapsing defense around him. And then he'll kick it out to somebody on the corner or the wing or whatever you may, ha you may have at the disposal there. But I think if, the Mavs are smart here. Attack the paint. The Lakers are in a situation where they really can't defend the rim because they don't really have any decent rim protectors. And, I mean, you've even seen times this year where LeBron has played the five. And that's despite the fact that he's 37. I think he actually turns 38 within, like, the next day or two. So, I'm just going to show, like, the Lakers are really struggling to find really sort of any interior defense to work with because of AD's absence. And the only reason I could see the Lakers potentially winning this game is that they would outscore the Mavs in this one. But I just don't really see that being the case because, Kev, like you said, the Lakers have given up over 130 points in the last two games. And even against the Wizards a couple days ago, they gave up over 115. Granted, that came in a win. But you see where I'm going with this. The Lakers have to score probably somewhere around 115 to 130 points just to be competitive. And in the last couple games, they've been down... 15, 20, 25 points consistently, whether it be against the Kings or the Suns, and it's been in a losing effort. And granted, you know, LeBron is putting up decent numbers along the way. It's just coming in losing efforts. And, you know, LeBron is still great. He's still playing up to snuff as far as I see it, but it's just the surrounding cast around him without AD there. It's just simply not enough. You know, I granted you have Dennis Schroeder there. You have Austin Reeves from time to time. Lonnie Walker's made some contributions. But it's just not enough to get over the hump. And when it comes to the Lakers, the Lakers have been in 
and inconsistent team this year. They're 13th in the Western Conference right now. And granted, I know that Kev wouldn't probably be so glowing about where the Mavericks stand right now, but it's better than what the Lakers are right now. And when it comes to this game specifically, I think if Luka attacks the paint, I think that they'll, they'll do a good job because the Lakers defense is going to have to crash in because obviously Luka is the biggest player to contend with offensively for the Mavs. But I think it's going to open up opportunities for some role players with the Mavs, like you said, Kev, with Christian Wood, Spencer Dinwiddie. I mean, those to me, like, you know, that three-man core right there with Luka, Dinwiddie, and Christian Wood, I think that that's a tangible trio right there. And I think those guys can put up some pretty good numbers against the Lakers if they're knocking down open shots. Even if they're not knocking down contested shots, I think they, they can win those one-on-one -on -one defensive battles against the Lakers just because when it comes to the Lakers defense, that is their Achilles heel. They just they give up a bunch of points in the process and they just don't score enough on the other side to be competitive in these games. So as far as I see it, I think the Mavs win this one relatively comfortably. I think that they could potentially put up 115 to 120 points in this game. And I think with the Lakers, I think LeBron's going to go out there and probably get 30, 35 points. But there's a good chance the Lakers are going to lose this game by 10, 15 plus. So as far as I see it, I think the Mavs win this one by the score of like 120 to 125 to let's say like 110. So 125 for the Mavs, 110 for the Lakers. I think the Mavs win this one fairly easily as far as I see it. I always mute myself just so none of the static comes across the background, but you're good. It, 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 man, I want to cheer for my team. I really do. And, you know, obviously I don't have a good track record with a lot of my teams at this very moment, especially with my football team or lack thereof. But um, it's just, it, it's, it's, it's really just frustrating to watch the team be so dominant or reliant, excuse me, dependent. There's the word I'm looking for. There you go. You know, a trial and error, right? So dependent on one player and his success. It's legitimately, as we say, every single week we talk about the Mavs or every single month, whatever time, however often we speak about this team, it is Luca, hold the ball, dribble, 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 penetrate, kick out. It, it, it's like I don't understand how players are supposed to get into rhythms when they're not able to create shots or they're not able to take shots because Luca is out here trying to carry the burden of an entire organization on his shoulders. And, you know, Tim has been coming out of his shell and he's been he's been hitting some pretty solid amount of threes and, and obviously being very, very, very consistent in scoring offensively. But for players like Spencer, for players like Kemba, for players like uh, for Jaden, when he comes off the bench, they need to be able to create and be able to kind of run an offense amongst themselves as well. And Christian Wood is a great isolation player on the block. He's got a decent post game. He can shoot the ball. He runs a good pick and roll. I mean, he's efficient from the free throw line. It's just sad that it took 30-some-odd games for Luka to realize that Christian Wood was up to par to being the second fiddle. And and some people are saying, this is the Porzingis that we've wanted for years. Like, Kristaps was hurt for a long time. And the system that was run with Rick Carlisle, it just wasn't working. And at the end of the day, I think that Christian Wood costly in terms of efficiency within the, the, the budget, uh, he just fits the system a lot better. And I think that he is more efficient and physical behind the rim as well. So I'm just hoping Dallas can find a way to turn this season around. Despite being at the bottom tier of the Western Conference, I'm hoping that this team can, can mesh together when healthy and make a, make a decent push. I, again, I'm, I'm, stand, I'm standing by my prediction for earlier in the year being a first-round exit. But if we're able to do anything afterwards, it's going to be gravy for me. Yeah, I'm going to say it. That like the last two sentences that you said. What did you say? You said something I don't even like, know. First round exit. Yes. You know what I say, right? 
What's the thing I always say when it comes to you criticizing your team? Have no faith. faith. No faith. Have some faith. Dude, we're, we're, it's, we're right now, we are 15 and 15 or 16 and 16. We are legit win-loss, 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 win-loss. It, it's so fucking frustrating because it's like a lot of these games are at least within reach. And then Luca shoots us out of the game. He tries to get people that haven't shot the ball in a quarter and a half back in. Like, what do you expect? Like, as someone who has played a sport, right, multiple sports, you have to stay warm. If you're just running up and running up and down playing defense and you're not putting up shots because another player on your team is putting up all of them, you're going to give me the ball 20, 25 minutes later and expect me to hit? And some people are going to say, you're a professional. You shoot the basketball. That's what you're supposed to do. If you're not shooting at a consistent clip live in a game, you're not going to be in a rhythm. So, yes, they may be wide open, but they haven't touched the ball enough to go out there and hit one, two, three shots consecutively per possession. It's just, it is not an efficient way to win in this league. We have seen very few teams in recent history rely on one focal point for a source of offense. To be honest, I don't think I have seen that since 2011 when Dirk did it. The Miami Heat had the trio, although it went through LeBron. They had the trio. Uh, the Spurs had their trio. The Warriors dynasty had Clay, Draymond, Steph. The Cavaliers, Kyrie, Kevin Love, LeBron James. This, that, that, that trio does not exist in Dallas. At least the Lakers have a, a, a tandem when Anthony Davis is healthy and a potential trio when Russell Westbrook wants to play efficiently. There is no second fiddle to Luka if he gets in that mindset of, I got to bring us back. We're down 20. You have to learn to distribute and trust your teammates. I get Seriously, it. Think, think, think back. I get it. Kobe I get Bryant it. was the last one to do it before Dirk, and he had Powell and Lamar Odom at least. There are no isolated championship teams over the course of the last 10, 15 years. What, where it's just been solely isolation? Yeah, one person. It doesn't work. I, I, I fully understand that. No, That's the, the why reason, James Harden don't do shit. I, I know, like, if people are just listening to the episode, they're not, like, actually seeing my facial reaction. I was literally just, I had, like, literally, the, like, my hand on the side of my cheek, just like, okay, you know, Kev's going full diatribe here with the mask. I'm like, Kev, let, let's, let's be honest here for a second. At least Luca's on the court. I get I mean, that. I mean, we start, I mean, we could start there. I understand that you're frustrated with the Mavs. I, I, I totally get that. I, I don't want to dismiss that point. My guy, how many times does AD get hurt a year? At least twice. At least. And how long? Or he's he missing for? significant time. How long is he out for right now? A month and a half. Month. Mm, mm. And, uh, you know, on average, you know, how many games does he play per year? Fifty, sixty. Now, how many does, does Luca play? 65, 70? It's like a 15, that's like including 20. rest days and a that's couple a, of that's, ankle that's like, a, that's like a 15, 20-game difference right there. Yeah, I'm telling you, the Lakers right now, they're 13th. 13th <laughs> in the Western Conference. 13th. Like, ah! Like, this is nuts. They're like the third worst team in the NBA, not in the NBA, in the Western Conference. They're 13 and 18. You know, granted, they have LeBron. I, I get that. But my guy, have some faith. You guys are 16 and 16. You guys are ninth right now. I'm saying things could be a lot worse. Yeah. And to be quite honest with you, Kev, if the Mavs go on a little bit of a heater here, if they were to win, like let's say, like five or six games in a row, they could go from like the ninth seed to like the sixth seed. Like, all it would take is a couple games. 
The Lakers need a lot of games, Cap. A lot of games. We need to we need to get five games in a row in the win column to just get back to five hundred. You know, granted, I know it's still early, and I know we still have a lot of time left. But it's like, Kev, there's there's levels to this, my guy. I know. It's just it's it's a re it's, for me it's, it's, a, it's a reoccurring it, thing. Every season we talk about this, and everybody gives him excuses. Now we're starting to see the national media say the things I've been saying for three, four years: not getting back on defense, too many shots, and into and um inability to get back on defense, and also bitching with the refs too. It, it's it, bro. It's it's ridiculous. It's frustrating to watch because it's like we'll be in a game, and the second he checks out mentally, we're we're done. I get, it. I get. It. At least you have LeBron James. I get it. He's thirty seven, turning thirty eight. By the way, his birthday's New Year's Eve, so it's about a week away. Oh, um, I, thought, I thought it was like before Christmas. No, it's le- it's legit New Year's Eve, if not um the thirtieth of December, whichever one. Don't ask me how I remember that. I swear to God, it's mad random. Um. At least you have Russell Westbrook, albeit it may be seven or eight turnovers to get 30 points. You have another option. Like, those are two people that are pass first. They look to get people involved first. And everybody is infatuated with, well, Luka's almost averaging a triple-double. Yeah, we're last place in total team assists. He is getting his numbers. Oh, well, teammates are missing shots. If you listen to 10 minutes ago what I just said, he's passing to different people 15, 20 minutes apart. People aren't touching the ball. And if they are, they're throwing the ball up because Luka held the shot clock, because it, he had to pass out because they forced him to stop his dribble. You need to get players getting a couple shots per quarter. Yes, superstars take the majority and the volume of all shots for an offensive team. But when you're not touching the ball as consistently as Tim Hardaway is recently because of his hot streak, there's a reason why Reggie Bullock is shooting under 30%. There's a reason why Spencer Dimwitty takes forever to get into the rhythm of the game. There is a reason why Kimball Walker is coming off the bench as a third or fourth option. It's because Luka plays 39 damn minutes, if not 40-plus, and he's taking 30% of the shots alone. It's difficult to cheer when you're like, Brick. Pick and roll. He's throwing up garbage. Oh, wait, he thought he got fouled. Oh, it's five on four. Oh, look, they scored. Oh, look, they also fouled. Where's Luca? Oh, he's at the ref at the scorer's table arguing every single night. If this was a couple months, if this was just this season, I wouldn't be as mad. This is a reoccurring fucking issue every single season. And finally, finally, people are starting to see in year five, well, uh, you know, Luka Doncic tends to do this a lot. Uh, mm, he's had turnovers, you know, not getting back on defense. He's got a lot of techs already to start the season. I'm just saying, I know that we have a long way to go, but it's just, it's just stupid to me. Again, it's just really, really stupid. That's all I'm trying to say. And yet my team, the Lakers, they give up 130 points. Which is weird because your head coach is known for a defensive mind and you guys are just not getting it done at all. But you also don't have the personnel to help. I think you guys need to hurry up and pull that trigger for Buddy Heald and Miles Turner. Low key. High key, actually. I, Miles would be great. I think Miles would definitely improve our interior defense for sure. I mean, honestly, I don't care what he puts off offensively. If he could just protect the paint, I'd, I'd roll with that instantly. But yeah. I mean, we do. When it comes to the Lakers, I mean, they're thinking about possibly extending Russell. I'm sorry. There's a rumor. Oh, goody. Potentially extending Russell. Oh, so, goody. Him and Pat Bev just gonna keep becoming best friends. I know. It's they come a long way, bro. Come full circle. But whatever. 
Like, we're not going to go anywhere until AD gets back. It's that simple. I'm like, Kev, you yeah. get it. Uh, Kev, I would trade your problems with my team's problems immediately. I, I would take that in a heartbeat. You could take you could take third to last place if you want it. I, it's right there. Yeah, I, I, I know. I, I, I know. I, I would take a playing tournament situation if I were the Lakers right now. It's better than where we're at right now. So it's like this could be a lot worse, Kev. I'm sitting here just just smiling the pain away. So <laughs> true. But but with that said, we got one more game on the Christmas Let's Day flip slate. It. Yep, you got this one. Let's flip this over. So we got the two best teams in the Eastern Conference that are a half a game apart from one another. Both of them having MVP candidates in Giannis Antetokounmpo with the Bucks, who are 22 and nine, and then Jason Tatum with the Celtics at 22 and 10. This is going to be the game of the week. This is going to be the game of Christmas, in my personal opinion. The battle for the Eastern Conference. The Celtics have been faltering over the last 10 games with a record of 4-6. and six. They're on a three-game skid, whereas the Bucks are looking a little bit better, but not too much. They are 8-6 and six in their—excuse me, they are 7-3 and three in their last 10. And, uh, you know, we will just have to see how this game transpires. So, for the sake of this conversation, with this taking place in Boston on Christmas Day— who do you think is going to come out between the batter of the juggernauts in the Eastern Conference and why? Kevin, I'm actually going to go with the Bucks here on this one. And it's not to discredit what the Celtics have at their disposal, because as far as I see it, I mean, through the first quarter of the season, the Celtics have been dominating. I mean, and so have the Bucks. The Bucks have been right along there with them. But, you know, when it comes to the Celtics the last couple games or so, I'd say probably the last week, week and a half, like you said, Kevin, in the lead up, they've been faltering. Um, they've lost three games. And, you know, there's a potential that they could be, you know, in a four-game skid going into this game if they don't turn it around in the one game before they have on Christmas Day against the Bucks. But I do like where the Celtics are when it comes to their overall personnel. I mean, you know, when it comes to Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, I mean, what more can you say? I mean, Jason, Brown, uh, Jason Tatum has been just phenomenal this year. Like you said, Kev, he's one of the leading candidates for MVP this year. Uh, Jalen Brown is just a model of consistency this year. And I also like the fact that Robert Williams III, also known as, I think they call him in Boston, Time Lord, or I think that's the uh, the nickname that they have for him. He's finally back in the fold. He was coming off of an injury this past offseason, and he's finally healthy and ready to go. But when it comes to the Celtics going up against the Bucks, I just don't know how they're going to be able to slow down Giannis. Giannis has just been an absolute freak of nature. I mean, he's called the Greek freak for the reason, and he's lived up to that name in every way, shape, or form. I mean, when I look at one of the games that they just lost against the Cleveland Cavaliers, can we drop 45? He's been consistently getting 30, 35, and he's dropped even some 40 bombs in these last couple of games. And I don't know if necessarily if Boston's personnel down low is going to be able to handle Giannis. And especially if Giannis is working in transition, that dude is impossible to stop because basically he could take a dribble or two from the three-point line in transition and could just dunk it. Either dunk it, lay it up, or p potentially kick it out to somebody like Chris Middleton or whoever's out in the wing or the corner for the Bucks here. So the Celtics got to pay a lot of attention to Giannis in this one. And as far as I see it, the Celtics are going to win this game. They're going to have to force Giannis into some uncomfortable situations where he's going to have to kick it out, and he's going to have to put it in the hands of people like Chris Middleton, maybe Drew Holiday, to really give the Bucks a chance to win if it's not coming at the hands of Giannis. I don't see that being the case. I think that Giannis is just a freight train run amok, and I don't think the Boston Celtics are going to be able to contend with it to slow him down in any way, shape, or form. I see Giannis putting up somewhere around 35. I could see him getting probably 10 to 15 rebounds easy, 
and probably throwing a couple assists there as well. It, it really goes to show Giannis is the MVP leader as far as I see it. Uh, that's not to discredit what Jason Tatum has done this year. He's been phenomenal. Um, it really looks like the Celtics as a whole, they look fine after taking that loss in the finals to the Warriors this past season. Honestly, the Warriors look like hell right now with the amount of injuries that they've had. Uh, they can't win on the road. So the Celtics, you know, they've taken that final lo- that finals loss pretty well, and they've gone off to a really good start here. But when it comes to this Christmas Day game, I got the Bucks all day in this one. I think it will be a relatively competitive game, but I just think it's going to be too much Giannis to contend with, and I think he's really going to be the sole reason why uh, they get this win over the Celtics. If I had to put a score on it, I'm going to say the Bucks win this one by the score of, let's say, like 110 uh, to 105. I think it's going to be a close game. It'll probably come down uh, to the last couple of minutes, but I think the Bucks are going to be able to make some plays at the end to really kind of push them ahead in this one. So that's how I see this game going between the Bucks and the Celtics on Christmas Day. So I'm actually going to go the complete opposite. I think Jason Tatum is an absolute walking bucket. I think that Jalen Brown has had a lot of clutch moments in terms of, you know, just making timely shots when necessary. And Robert Williams is back, one of the anchors on that defense. And I'm not saying it's going to be a blowout. I just think the combination of the one-two punch between Tatum and Brown are going to be too much for the Bucs to handle. With the Celtics faltering as of late, with them not being able to efficiently play defense, they know that this is going to be a pivotal matchup on Christmas. Everybody's eyes are going to be on this game. The winner of this game is probably going to be the decide not deciding factor, but probably going to be the uh, the representative for the Eastern Conference, in my personal opinion, unless the Nets continue to win out the way that they have been recently, but we're not going to get into that. Um, I just genuinely think that Tatum has taken that step. He has taken that offseason, that, that frustration, and I'm not making a comparison, but similar to a Kobe Bryant, Took it on the chest. Damn, we lost. We have to go and we have to dominate. And that is exactly what the Celtics have been doing this season. I know that I said as over the last 10 games, they're four and six. But when you have a primetime matchup like this, when you have an opportunity to solidify yourself and remind people like, hey, we're still the best team in this conference, potentially in the NBA. um, This is the moment you have to do it against the best competition, against one of the best players in the NBA. As good as Chris Middleton is, I don't think that he compares to what Jalen Brown brings to the table, at least this season. The athleticism, the availability, the defensive presence. I mean, Jalen can guard one through three comfortably. He can guard some of the best uh, point guards in in basketball. He can even guard some threes, maybe even some power forwards, depending on where he is on the court. But... I think that they're also probably two of the best defenders in the league. Jason Tatum has really emerged as a on-ball defender, both uh, consistently and when he plays off-ball help defense. I really think that the one-two punch between them, they can easily go for 50, uh, 50 to 60 points between the two of them offensively. And of course, between the two of them, they can get a couple of steals, a couple of blocks, force some turnovers with their hands in the passing lanes. And I think that that is going to speak a lot of volume on this on uh, in this game. So... Not to take away from Giannis, I think that Giannis still has a pretty big game himself. I mean, it's pretty hard to stop an unstoppable force like Giannis Antetokounmpo. But again, with the one-two punch as opposed to just Giannis trying to force his way down low, I really do believe that they have the advantage in Boston, and especially with them being home on Christmas, that I believe that this is going to be a very competitive game. I don't have a score. It's a lot harder to predict basketball scores because if this ends up being a defensive showdown, this could be in the 90s. If this ends up being a a shootout, this could be somewhere in the 130s. So I'm not going to go and give a prediction. I do think that the Celtics win this one. I'm not going to say convincingly, but I say somewhere between the range of 7 to 10 points. I think that they show out maybe some clutch free throws at the end of a game, make this beyond to what the the Bucs can uh, compete with. But I got the Celtics winning this one and reclaiming the throne at the top of the Eastern Conference. 
I think it's still going to be a relatively high scoring game simply just because when it comes to the Bucks in the regular season, they score a lot of points during the regular season. When it comes to the playoffs, that's a little bit different. You know, the playoffs is where I think honestly they kind of morph into this like gutter and grindy team where they focus a lot more heavily on their defense to get them wins. But during the regular season, I mean, they go out there and could put up 110, 120, potentially 130 points. I don't know if that's going to happen in this game, particularly where they're going to put up 130 points. But I could definitely see them cracking 100, maybe getting somewhere around 105 to 110. I think this is going to be a fun game nonetheless, though. I think this 100%. is going to be the best Christmas Day game that we have on the slate, and that's why uh, we had to cover it for sure. But nonetheless, I mean, no matter who wins this game, I think it's just going to be a great game to watch on Christmas Day. So, I mean, not only that, you know, we got basketball, we got football on Christmas Day. It is going to be a fun day for sports. And honestly, it comes with everybody's family, you know, being in the same spot. So, I mean, what more could you ask for? Yeah, it depends on your family. You know, you may have a bunch of cousins and family members running around to where you got to kind of put the TV on mute and just put the subtitles on because everybody's talking so loud or there's music. Or it could be like my family where it's not really much to do because all your family is in another state. So it's like, you know, you just all you have is sports. After you do the Christmas stuff with your parents and stuff like that, there's not really much going on. But um, with Christmas on the mind, with Christmas being right around the corner, um, you know, we want to wish you guys a happy and healthy holidays. Uh, we are so happy to be doing this for fun, for, for not necessarily a living yet. But we, we enjoy this, the Christmas spirit that, that we've been shared growing up. Um, we just want to continue to express our gratitude for you guys, whether that is support via audio, support on YouTube, support via social media. It makes no difference. We're thankful. We're happy we're able to do this. And if you guys are able to learn something from this, take this into your day-to-day, whether that's an argument with a coworker or some points you want to make with your, with, your, with your bookie, it's completely up to you. We just enjoy being able to provide our opinion along with the statistical knowledge that we have. And we're just you know forever grateful for the opportunity that we're able to present. Oh, 100%. And like Kev basically just outlined, we wouldn't be here without you guys supporting the podcast as you have. And um, I, I think pretty easy to say at this point we obviously extend uh the best wishes for you guys this holiday season we hope that everybody has a a fun and safe holiday uh this upcoming weekend it's actually kind of cool that christmas is actually taking place on a weekend instead of a weekday so you know christmas eve's on saturday christmas is on sunday so i think this will just be a good time for everybody to just basically be around their family enjoy the time together and, and make the most of it and hopefully you guys do that i know kevin and i will be uh, for sure, this upcoming holiday. I know Kev's got got a little bit of a drive ahead of him. Uh, you know, that's going to be fun leaving the state. But uh, nonetheless, uh, we hope that you guys uh, have a great Christmas. Um, we'll see what we'll do going into next week. Depending on how things work out, we may do like a small little thing uh, the Monday after Christmas. I don't think it's going to be anything major. Um, it may just be like a segment or two. Could it be a full-length episode? Maybe. I don't know. I'll be here. I know Kevin's going to be busy with, with family um, after Christmas, so it would just be me uh, in that case. But, Kev, there's something I do want to propose to you. What's up? We got the end of the year coming up. Mm-hmm. When you come back for – you're going to be back for the – not the Monday episode, but for the Friday episode after yeah, Christmas. Yeah, I'll be right? back. I'll be back Wednesday. It's probably like – I'm hoping – either midday depending on what time we leave if not in the evening wednesday so i should be back for a thursday record i'm off the rest of that week i i think we got to do like a best of worst of of 2022 say say less i'm about it 
I, I think we got to do that just because I think it would be something different because I know we always kind of focus on like game commentary analysis, like all that stuff week in and week. Oh, out. yeah. I'm about I, it. I, I, I think we got to do like a best of worst stuff. I could already tell you the worst play of 2022 just took place last week with the Patriots. That's the worst play of the year as far as I see it. So th- th- there's a sneak peek to what you guys are probably going to get in a week from now. But no, overall, um, I've got nothing more to say here other than just I hope you guys have a great Christmas holiday this upcoming weekend. Um, and until then, uh, we'll see you guys later. Kev, you can close it on out from here, brother. All right. Well, actually, before I close it out, yo, Wally Zerbiak, you saw for that comment you said about Tyrese Halliburton, man. Want to be all-star? Bro, you're lucky if you were in the conversation of being an all-star in your career. Yeah, you was a shooter, but we all know that you was a soft-ass player. So don't know, don't Kev, be coming Kev, at Tyrese Kev, Halliburton. Kev, it's Christmas. I'm just saying, I, I just remembered that because I saw a Pacers logo and I was like, yo, that man lead the league in assists. That man got shipped out of Sacramento to a team that he didn't even want to be on. Bro, again, that's a soft-ass comment. I just had to end with that note because that's just former players coming at these young kids for no reason. is just that's some cornball shit, bro. But like Kyle said, it's Christmas. I just had to get that off my chest. Um, I hope everybody, like I said, has an incredible holiday season. We will be back before New Year's, and if not, we will just continue to be posting our, our usual shorts and comments as we normally do. But enjoy the holidays, guys. Stay safe, and we'll see you guys again soon. Yep. Take it easy, you guys. Hey there, I'm DC. I host the Rock Podcast. Back to the arena, the interviews. It's about a 30-minute podcast where I talk one-on-one with a band who has released new music. You can find us on all the best podcast sites like Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and more. If you're a rock fan like me, subscribe today to Back to the Arena, the interview. Electric Acid. Miles, are you ready to record our promo for Season 2 of the Wannabet Podcast? David, have you ever seen a grown man naked? Miles, we're not here to quote lines from Airplane. We're here to tell people that Season 2 starts August 18th. But I like Airplane. I know you do, but Wanna Bet is a sports betting podcast. Each week we bet $1,000 on the NFL teams and games that we love. Well, that sounds like fun. It is fun. And last year you picked over 60% of your games correctly. How'd you do? We're not talking about that. We are telling people that they can find us every Friday. So no more movie quotes. Roger, Roger. Electric Acid.